We are starting a series that's going to be talking about faith facts for families. What I want to do in this series, I want to talk about some of the different issues that deal with families and some of the different discussions. And um, we haven't done a full series that's blended with the family for a number of years already. We've done some in marriage or parenting, but we want to do this for the next few Sunday nights uh, during the course of this fall and talk about it. And I want to issue, deal with some of the uh, pertinent issues, not only husband and wife and teens and, and uh, relationships between siblings, but I also want to deal with some of those other questions that are very pertinent in this day and age, is what about the Bible says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What about single parenting? That's becoming more and more of a factor. And you have friends and relatives. And so where I want to start this evening is I want to start at the very beginning of that relationship of building a home. When we were on vacation, we went to the Creation Museum. And then we also went to the Ark Encounter. And if you go there, they have a wide variety of different creatures. Some are animated or with animatronics. Some are just stuffed. Uh, not stuffed, but they're, uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, they're created, okay? Um, but they go back to that age of the dinosaurs and they talk about that whole idea and then they say that these are extinct species. And so it's very interesting as they've tried to design things based upon the fossils and based upon descriptions even in scripture and they come to it. And, and if you've not been there, it's, it's a fascinating uh, place to be and reminds you that dinosaurs did live at the same time as men and yes, they are real creatures and it was during that pre-flood period and it's, you know, just a fascinating history. However, we come and we say, okay, these are extinct species. I fear that as we move forward, even in our culture, that the Christian family is becoming an extinct species. I say that not because I'm trying to be a doomsday sayer, but based upon what is happening in our country, the American Christian home is definitely under attack. It is amazing how many families are being fractured. And we're not immune from it because we sit in a church and we hold our Bibles in our laps. There are families that you know of. There are families that we've tried to help that have fractured. They've had troubles. There's a research company that goes out, it's a Pew Research, and they did one in their published studies that came out. This is the latest of Christian studies talking about the Christian family. It's come out in the year 2017 it was published, and it's talking about family living in America. And these aren't all the stats but there are some interesting stats that they put out that approximately one half the marriages in America end in divorce. That is including evangelicals now. Okay, that it is happening at a high rate. Evangelical is a real broad term of basically people who claim to be born again. They don't necessarily, we're talking conservative, we're just talking anybody who claims to be born again, which could be a wide variety of a lot of people. Then they said that less than 46% of the kids in America right now are living in a home with their biological parents who are in their first marriage. That's just, that's less than the majority of people in America are being raised in homes where it is a home that hasn't been affected by marriage and divorce or single parenting, things like that. And that we're not trying to decry and say that's bad for the kid, that's you know, shame on the kids. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm just trying to do is give you the scene of what's happening in America. That in 1960, there was 80% of the kids growing up in America were living in a two-parent family home with their parents who were in the first marriage. 19, uh, 1960, 1980, 73%, and now we're down to 46% which means that the norm for what your kids are, where they go to school, the norm for what's happening in our society is we're not talking second marriages, we're not talking two-parent homes. That's not becoming the norm in America. In fact, one-parent homes are increasing. Some of you are in those situations. You didn't want to be in those situations, but it's happening. And the fact is that one out of four kids in America right now are being raised by a single parent. One in four. 
That's quite a bit. Another statistic, they are estimating that by the year 2020, 46% of kids will be in a home where the parent isn't even married, but cohabitation is becoming the norm. So, and by the way, in, in America right now, that those people who cohabitate before they get married, one out of six survives divorce. So it's the cohabitation. People say, we'll do it so that we can make sure our marriage is going to be long-lasting. Statistically, it's against you. There's a, there's a shame of this whole study. Pew Research said very little difference statistically between the Christian homes and those who don't claim to be Christian. Our families are in trouble as a society. Now, your family may not be. Your family may be solid and strong, and most of you, you're, you're in situations where you're trying to provide, but do you realize what your kids are growing up in in a culture? This is what they're seeing as the norm. They're seeing that this, is, this isn't such a problem. And what happens with that is as this becomes more the norm, then when all of a sudden the challenges and the difficulties come when they get older, then what is their alternative? Because they grew up in a culture that says this is the norm, all of a sudden it's almost... The idea of, well, we don't have to work on our marriage becomes almost commonly accepted. So it's very, very important that we step back and say, okay, what does the Bible say in these things? Because our only hope, our only help in not becoming a statistic like this is for you and me to make sure we're going by Scripture. And even then, some of you have been through this. You have personally had the experience that you tried to follow the Bible. You were living by the Bible. But somebody else in the relationship chose not to follow by the Bible. And so you ended up in a, you're a statistic, like we were just saying, but you didn't want that, but it happened. Some of you grew up in homes that you didn't want your family to be fractured. You weren't desiring that, but some people made a choice and you became, I'm going to use the term tongue-in-cheek, you became a victim of all of a sudden the situation where it was out of your control. You wanted to be with your parents. You wanted them to stay together, but they opted not to. And you know that that's created some problems for you. That's created some stress for you. And so you and I need to go back and say, okay, we can't change what's happened in the past, but what we can do is work on the future. Where do we go for hope and help? There's multiple passages that we want to talk about, but the one I want to start this evening is Psalm 19. It's a verse that many of you who grew up in Calvary clubs, this was your keynote verse. This is where we had you start. It says in Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Let's stop right there. This is a passage talking about the Word of God. According to this text, if we followed the Word of God, this is what God is promising us. As long as we're working together in a family to do this, God is saying, I'm going to give you wisdom. Wisdom in the word that is used here in the Hebrew has the idea of being able to recognize, being able to know what is right, being able to, to determine what is morally correct. God says, if you follow my word, this is what I'll give you. I'll give you the ability to see what is right or wrong. I will also give you rejoicing of the heart. I'll give you joy. I'll give you the, the thought that you have that enthusiasm, that happiness, that fun factor that is bringing delight to your heart. And I will give you enlightenment. The word enlightenment that's used here is direction and guidance, the ability to make wise decisions. Not just what is morally right, but what is wise when you are picking this or that. 
and making good decisions. So God is promising that if I go back to the Word of God, He's going to give you and me the ability to be able to guard ourselves from making major mistakes. Yet do we have that ability and that choice and that opportunity that we might fall flat on our face. That's true. We understand that. So our hope and help is run to the Word of the Lord so as to get the best help and hope possible to avoid making those major mistakes. So it's incumbent upon us to go back to the Word of God and study such issues of what do we do in our marriage relationship? What do we do when we're raising our kids? What is proper, correct discipline of the kids? What is proper training of the kids? How are the kids expected to respond to me? What is, as a teen or as a young person, what does God's Word say about how I'm supposed to respect my parents? What is respect by God's standard? What about how I'm supposed to get along with my brothers and sisters? I do great getting along with my brothers and sisters if they would just leave me alone, if they would just go away. Well, they're not going to. So how do I respond to them? What about, there's a number of you that are dealing with grandparenting. Does the body of, uh, does the Bible deal with that? Yes, it gives us some instruction. And I want to talk about a topic that is a topic that the majority of you sitting here and saying, well, this is just, I, I just came out of obligation and I'm here because it doesn't, re, it doesn't affect me. It really does. This topic of dating affects every one of us in this room. Every one of us is, is affected. You say, well, I'm already married. You still have this, this obligation to do some dating with your spouse. Let me clarify that, okay? Some of you are in a spot where you're, you're no longer married. Death. You didn't desire it, but divorce. What's the possibility of dating in the future? Okay? That, that needs to be discussed as an, as an option. Some of you have yet to be married, and you're talking about, you know, when I, get, when I get older, I want to do some dating. Some of you, you are living for, desiring so bad to date, okay? Because you think, when I date, that means I'm a real adult. Now that I'm 10, I really want to date, because then I'll really be an adult, okay? It's a factor that all this, and there's a number of you that it's good for us to back up and talk about it this evening and next week so that as you counsel and guide, and that's where I really think this is so critical for parents, is talking and listening to what we're doing tonight and next week on this area of dating because you're supposed to be guiding your kids in this area, and I'm going to show you from the Bible this evening how in the Bible it is clear, clearly described that the parents are the ones to be giving instruction about dating. Very clearly in Scripture, I'll show you three passages that are just three of those that, that clearly he's giving instruction, and this is what the parents are to be talking about. And so let me start off just talking, and what I've done is I've given you just a series, I'm not doing an expository message because obviously there's no one text that deals with things, but what I'm dealing with in this passage is multiple different passages of principles that talk about what about dating. So we, we want to look and say, does the Bible talk about it all? This is where we need to start, but actually let me start right here. Years ago, I was teaching a Bible institute here at our church. We had started a, a Bible institute program in the old building there on Cumberland Street. That's, again, up for sale. That's where we started the church back in 79. So it was probably 81, 82 that we were teaching class, and I had the Christian home class. And in the Christian home class that I was teaching, my brother had said, okay, you're going to be the second class that evening. And I started off the first night with what is a date? The reason I remember so clearly, and some of you were there that when we did that Bible Institute that we started, it was defining a date, and I had probably my worst blunder verbally in any time teaching in all of my years of teaching and preaching the Word of God. And it was on this topic. 
What had happened is I gave this definition, a date, going by Webster, is a prearranged social engagement. I wanted to define that a little bit better, so what I did is I came up with a definition that went like this, a set time of focused fellowship with the person of the opposite sex. And so I'm reading my notes, and I'm going to have you fill in the blanks, and as I'm having that done, my eyes are reading further and faster than my mouth. And so where my eyes are is at the end of the sentence, and my mouth is at the beginning of the sentence. And I had two blanks, and they both began with S. And so I started off going, I was supposed to say, a set time of focused fellowship with a person of the opposite sex. However, I mixed up the words and said, a date is a sex time of focused fellowship with a person of the opposite sex. And the room went automatically just quiet, just like some of you just went, oh, that whole room, everybody was just stunned in silence that I would say that, and then we'd lost it for the next hour. We never got back. We were laughing too hard that I had pulled this really, or, you know, outrageous mistake. And yet, the reality is, a lot of people think that that's exactly what a date is, that it's a sex time. Okay, it is not. Okay, As a date is the idea of a set time of focused fellowship. I'm going to try to pay attention to this person, and it could be in a group setting, it could be in a private setting, whatever. But based on that, let's go a little bit. Let's, let's say, make several statements. We know that dating is not something specifically mentioned in the Bible. I cannot, you cannot take a concordance and look up dating and find that idea mentioned in scriptures. They didn't talk about it. They didn't use the terminology. But then again, I remind you that, um, like we mentioned in my Sunday school class this morning, rapture isn't found in the Bible, but the concept is. They, uh, there's lots of things not found in the Bible. The pew you're sitting on, there is no verse that talks about the pew. There is no rental of the pew in, in the Bible. There is no sound system, but we're very thankful for one. There is no air conditioning mentioned in the Bible, but aren't you glad? And don't you wish, Bob, that I had turned it on earlier for you in the choir this evening? So there's lots of things not mentioned. In fact, when it comes to a lot of what's in our culture, aren't you so glad that even though they're not mentioned, they're part of our lives? Cell phone is not mentioned in Scripture. Okay? Lights, internet, that's not mentioned in Scripture. In fact, so are a lot of things that are talking about kids and marriage. Wedding rings aren't mentioned in Scripture. Diapers aren't mentioned, but they're a really good thing, yay? Okay, so are nurseries and those types of things. And so my point is this, though it's not mentioned in Scripture, is there any passage that talks about this? Yeah, Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18, verse 22. You want to turn there? Okay, we're going to jump around and do some verses like this this evening. Proverbs 18, verse 22. Here is an innuendo about the idea of somebody looking for, being interested in putting focused attention upon a person of the opposite sex with a goal in mind. Here it is, Proverbs 18, verse 22. It says, whoso finds a wife finds what? Now, you, some of you don't like that thing in this verse, okay? Whoso, endeth, whoso finds a wife findeth a good thing, okay? And obtains favor from the Lord. But the idea is there's a search being made. There's the idea of somebody's focusing attention. Somebody is trying to look for somebody. In Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7, there, there is this idea of, he's talking about, parents are talking about in this text, about in giving advice that when you as a young man go out, who should you, what should you be looking for? In fact, the passage that we most often preach on Mother's Day is Proverbs 31. It is the passage that's called, a, it's talking about the what type of woman? The virtuous woman. Do you know who is speaking in that passage? Solomon, if it's Solomon, which we think it is, Lemuel's mother. It's his mother. And you know what she's giving him advice for? What type of wife to look for? 
Who do you, what do you pay attention for in a person that you might be interested in? She's giving dating advice is what she's doing in that passage. 1 Corinthians 7 talks a lot about the relationships and talks about the purity in the relationship and talks about, you know, if there's struggles and battles in there, what to deal with. In fact, Matthew chapter 1 talks about Mary and Joseph, that there was an interest expressed and that, you know, that he'd grown to love her and so that was focused attention even before they were married. And so the concept is mentioned in Scripture, but let's go a little bit further. We know that dating is not condemned nor is it considered wrong in Scriptures. And I understand that there are some in the Christian world right now in America that says dating is bad. It's evil. There should not be dating. In fact, there are some churches. Some of, uh, some of our folk here had grown up in a, in a church. I'm thinking one in particular, not in this region, that the church taught that you don't date. What happens is your family just kind of says, yes, you over here look like you would go with that person over there. And we kind of condone as a church that the two of you who are now 15, 16, 17 years old should become a couple. And once we condone that, you, were pre, you are now predestinated to get married. And if you don't end up getting married, we're probably going to exercise church discipline against you. Okay. You say, well, they, they, they didn't do it. Yes, they did. There are some in the Christian community that are very strong because they're, they're saying the dating in America, the way it happens is something really you know, bad and evil and it's been distorted, therefore we want to get away from it. So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to help people get together and we're going to start picking their spouses when they're 15, 16, 17 years old. And if you at all show an interest in somebody different than who we chose, church discipline. Okay. The, this idea of a, being interested in somebody and checking that relationship out is not condemned in Scripture. <laughs> There's a passage that talks about in Proverbs 30. It's kind of a funny passage. It goes like this. There be three things which are too wonderful for me. Yea, four, which I, I, I can't fully explain. I can't fully explain the way of an eagle in the air. It is so fascinating. I can't, I'm fascinated by the way the serpent moves upon the rock. That amazes me. That catches my attention. Uh, the way that the ship is out in the middle of the sea and how that works, that kind of, you know, it fascinates me. Do you remember what the last one is? Yeah. The way of a man with a maid. The idea is that we're two unmarried people and how they kind of get together. Seriously. Are you amazed by the way that some people get together? Yeah, and how they match and how they, they're brought together. And you go, really? I wouldn't have, you know, if it was my job to be matchmaker, matchmaker, I wouldn't have put those two together. And he says, it's wonderful how the Lord will bring people together at times. Number three, let's make a statement. We know that dating, like anything else, must be done to the glory of God in a way that glorifies God. Parents, this is some of the instruction you need to be giving. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30, this is an overall passage. It says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, the normal things of life, eating and drinking. The normal things of life. All of a sudden coming to the point where there's an interest between uh, you and somebody of the opposite gender. That's a normal part of life. Okay, And so it says, okay, whether, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In Ephesians 5, you have to prove. Do that which is acceptable. Ask yourself, does this please the Lord the way that we are developing this relationship? Which is great, which is good. There's nothing wrong with developing the relationship as long as we're pleasing the Lord. But too often... Dating, even in our American culture, it is based on culture, okay? And sometimes we have to be careful. We know that dating, there's different cultural practices. There are some cultures that you don't dare, okay? You go to some countries, you don't dare 
to be alone without a chaperone. There are some countries about what age or family's involvement. And so a lot of differences in culture. We don't live in those foreign countries. We live in America. And so we have to remember this, that all cultural practices, not all of them are bad. Okay? They should be examined by Scripture, but they're not all bad. For instance, there's some things that are very much a part of our culture. That doesn't mean it's evil. Cars are very much of our culture. Thanksgiving is very much of our culture. Electronics, very much of our culture. The NFL, very much of our culture. Doesn't mean it's sinful. Now, some of you think it is, but it doesn't mean... Hunting, very much part of our culture. Okay? The malls, very much of our culture, but it doesn't mean it's evil just because it's modern. Let's go a little bit further. Not all practices from Bible days are inherently good, especially when it comes to relationships. Somebody told me this once. They said, well, if I find it in the Bible and it has to do with the family, then we should be doing it today. I don't agree with that. Because I find in the Bible that in the Old Testament, how often did people have two or more wives? It was a cultural practice, but that didn't mean it's a good thing, right? Okay, that's so the, the idea of, okay, it's in the Bible. I, I would challenge somebody to say, okay, if it's in the Bible, therefore we should do it. Dowries are in the Bible. You going to pay it? You want to go through with that whole process? So we can make those statements, but we have to step back and say, well, it's not necessarily so. The cultural practice of dating, like anything else, needs to be evaluated in light of the Bible. That's what we're trying to do. It should glorify God. We should be moving forward with that. And so we need to make sure that our dating is not anti-scriptural in this practice. Go to 1 Peter 2. This passage is talking about the area of relationships with other people. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's, let's draw a principle from this text. 1 Peter 2 that he's talking about in this practice, and it's high how we're interacting and how we're conducting ourselves. 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 9. 1 Peter 2. If you need it, if you have a uh, Schofield Bible, 1313 is the page number. Okay, if that helps. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Okay, and he says all this, this basically saying you're different than the world. You have been raised by the power and the virtue of Jesus Christ to be different, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in the time past you were not a people but are now a people of God. Before you were saved, you did certain things, but now you're saved, it should be different. Why? Because you now have obtained mercy, but now have, you, in the past you didn't, but now you have. So, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from, what's your Bible read? Fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conversational lifestyle honest amongst them. And he goes on, he speaks about this idea of what you want to do in areas. And he talks about your area in relationship to the government. He talks about your area in relationship of work. He talks about your area in relationship with your own desires and attractions towards other people. And so in this text, he's talking about we don't want to date the way the world does. In fact, there's a passage that gives a lot of insight into how dating should be done by Christians. In 1 Timothy 5, he's writing and saying, I want the older men to be treating the, 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 I want you to teach the people to do certain things. Treat the older men in the church as fathers. Treat the older ladies in the church as mothers. Treat, and he talks about what about the sisters and the brothers who are younger in age. And he makes this comment. He says, treat the younger men as brothers and treat the younger ladies as sisters. And he goes on with all purity. Why does he add that with all purity? Because he knows 
That even in the Christian community, that an attraction that takes place when they get to church, people become attracted, who are single, there's nothing wrong with that, but there needs to be purity. Don't do what the world does. You're to be different from the world. And the principle of dating, which is fabulous out of this passage, is develop a brother and sister relationship, first of all, as a brother and sister with all purity. That means you have to have conversation. That means you have to have, well, I'll talk about more next week. Let's go on to number five. We know that dating does not carry the same weight as marriage. I say this because sometimes people get confused. They say, wait a minute, I'm dating this person, therefore I am totally uh, obligated for life to this person. Now, back up a second. It says in Ephesians chapter 5 that you are to be submissive to your own husband. He's very clear, ladies. You submit yourself to your own husband. When you get married, then there's that submission relationship that is concreted by the marriage relationship, the marriage vow. He doesn't say, okay, that in the dating relationship, you're supposed to be totally submissive to that individual. Now, by the way, if you're growing and your relationship is maturing, you're going to want to look for that. You want to see if there's a tendency towards that and that, you know, that yes, there's a desire, but marriage, uh, dating doesn't carry the same weight of total submission as does marriage. And by the way, it changed for me and my daughters and for you and your daughters. When my daughters ended up getting married, they no longer have to be submissive to their father's leadership in their home. They have to be submissive to their own husbands. The marriage carried and changed the weight of who they submissive to. Marriage is not permanent. Marriage is permanent. Excuse me. What a blunder. Marriage is permanent in Scripture, but dating isn't. Dating isn't. You don't, when you, you, when you say I do at the wedding, then you're done. Okay? Before that, you have option to back out of this relationship. Now, some will point and they say, wait a minute, when Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, when Mary and Joseph weren't yet married, he was going to give a bill of divorcement. Therefore, dating carries the same obligations and commitments and force as marriage. That's because in that culture, when they betrothed, when they got engaged, it was as strong as a covenant of a marriage vow. But that's not in America. That was a cultural practice. That's not true today. Therefore, and I, and I do this, and I, sometimes the couples get upset with me and think that I'm being crazy, and I'm not trying to be crazy. I'm trying to be real from the Scriptures with them is I ask them multiple times as they come, and even on the wedding day, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure because this, once you say, I do, you've entered into a permanent relationship. You can stop if you have doubts, if you have apprehensions. Up until that point, you can back out of it, and you'd be wiser to back out than to enter in to a, to a horrible situation that you're going to regret. And so we ask that, why? Because dating doesn't carry that same weight. In fact, go with me to 1 Corinthians 7. This is very, very critical. At the same time, we have some real young people in here, and I, and I don't want to be careful, but this is scriptures that are so important that are critical, and this is one of those critical mass scriptures that parents, you should be instructing. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2, and it's going to point out that marry, dating does not have the same privileges as marriage, and we're talking about the privilege of being intimate in a physical way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, now concerning the things whereof you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to caress a woman. That's the word touch, that idea of in a very intimate way touching that individual, in an intimate way that is petting, you would say in, in modern English. Okay, the idea of this passage is, wait a minute, 
that, that touching is not allowed in dating because he goes on and says, now concerning the things wherever you wrote me, it is not good for a man to be caressing a woman, nevertheless to avoid, and he calls that caressing fornication. To avoid fornication, let every man have his what? His own girlfriend? Is that what your Bible reads? No, it doesn't. It says, let him have his own what? What? His wife. And let every woman have her own boyfriend? Doesn't say that. It's, he's very clearly saying boyfriend and girlfriend relationship does not allow you to be, and excuse me for being so, just say it bluntly, to make out, to be petting. That's, this, this text is totally opposed to that. It says you cannot do and cannot conduct that way until you are married. Well, that seems so old. This is God speaking, folk. This is God's word. This isn't something that's cultural. This is purity issue. This is God's word that says that, that intimacies are not permitted until marriage. Period. There is no, but we really love each other. That, the text doesn't allow for that. The, the word of God is very, very clear. You save yourself till you're married. In fact, there's other passages. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he talks about it again. He says, this is the will of God. Now, there's only a handful of scriptures that says this is the will of God. This is, the, this is one of them. This is the will of God, even your holiness, sanctification, that you abstain from any sexual activity that is in violation of the scriptures. Premarital sex is one of them. That every one of you should possess his vessel in sancti your body, in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of passions, even as the world does, even as the Gentiles do. Just because the world does it, just because on TV, if somebody says, I like you, they start kissing, and then the next thing you do, they're, they're being intimate. That TV may do that, but you as a Christian are not supposed to. That's, that's just not permitted. That no person, and then here's what he says, no person go beyond and do what? defraud his brother in any manner. You don't steal something from some individual. You don't steal their purity. You don't steal their, their virtue physically. You're not allowed to do that. That is something that's to be saved for their marriage. You don't take it. You don't give it. You don't defraud. You don't steal from that other person. God's Word is very clear about this. That here in, in dating is not, dating is not supposed to be okay, a free-for-all. That we experiment. Nope, nope, that's not what the Bible says. Let me take a step further. We know that dating is not a must for every teenager or single adult. Now, I understand this, that if you aren't dating by the time you're age 13, people are going to look at you and say, something's wrong with you, okay? In fact, in our culture, what is often assumed if the person isn't dating early. All of a sudden, what now is the, the normal accusation? They're gay. Something, you know, you're not dating because you're in college, and you're not dating because you're focused on schoolwork, and the question some of you have had this, you've experienced coming up and say, are you gay? Why, because I don't have a boyfriend? I don't have a girlfriend? That's what the world says. But what does God's word say about this? Must you date? soon as you turn 10, or soon as you turn 12, or soon as you turn 16, the day you get your license, you also have to have a, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend. Surely you can't graduate from high school. 
without having somebody. And woe be unto you if you graduate from college and you're not married yet. Okay, and so the world says that and puts the pressure on and people get panic. What does God's Word said? God's Word makes this very clear. You don't have to be dating. You don't have to. In fact, he says, for I would that all men were as myself. This is Paul's recommendation. This is not a requirement or a command, but he's sharing. He's saying, I wish you were like me. Paul is unmarried. And in this text, he goes on, he says, the reason that I'm advocating lack of marriage or being, remaining single is because when you are married, you have to focus on whose needs, your spouses and your kids. Not only do you have to focus on their needs, but you have to focus on their wants, their desires. And for some of you, he's saying that's creating a conflict. Read this in the second half of chapter 7. For some of you, you want to serve the Lord. But when you serve the Lord and you're doing a lot for the Lord, it creates a tension with your spouse. Because your spouse wants your time, but you want to give some of your time to the Lord, and you're doing this balancing act. And you're struggling, and sometimes it creates tension. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there. Several of us have been there too often. Okay? that all of a sudden we're trying to do this balancing act. And I contend this. This is me. As long as there is a tension, then, then I'm trying to be balanced. If I am totally only the Lord and ignoring my wife, that's unhealthy. If I'm so focused on my wife that I'm ignoring the Lord and the, what he's called me to, that's unhealthy. So I want to be in a spot where, you know, there is some of this tension. It's a good, healthy tension. Well, Paul is writing and saying, I wish you were like me. But every man has his, and this is an interesting phrase, his proper gift, where God has enabled him. After, one after this manner, another after that. What manner? Single or married? And he goes, I say therefore unto the unmarried and widows, it is good for them that they abide even as I am. And he's saying that there is times, there are places that it's good to be single or not to be dating. There are times in your life now, in Paul's case, it was persecution. But there are times in your life where you're focused and you're saying, okay, I'm in the middle of you know, starting this job or this career or this study, and because I'm not an individual that can you know, carry in so many plates and try to balance them, that I'm going to focus primarily here right now. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you. And then once I get established, I'm going to be, you know, then I'll, then I'll explore my options when it comes in the dating atmosphere. There's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And we don't need to respond. And please, 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 I say all this, and some of you are, you know, wondering where I'm, you know, you're, you know, say something that's practical in some of this area. Let me be real practical. Parents, get off their back and putting the pressure on them. Don't say to your young person, you know, aren't you, you know, where you need a boyfriend, you need a girlfriend. You're 21 years old. I want grandkids. What are you doing about it? We giggle and we laugh, but that is really said by people. It ought not to be. We need to stop and say, wait, is this, has God given them this for their life, this calling, this gift, is this where they're at at this moment in their life? And that's okay. That's okay. We ought not to be looking around and saying, well, they're not, they're not dating, something must be wrong. They may be gifted at that point that they're okay. And that's God's leading and God's will. And we should not put that adverse pressure upon individuals. Number eight, we know that dating should not be based on feelings only, but feelings are involved. Oh, let's, let's be real about this. 
let's, let's be real. Somebody, you know, somebody might say, I feel really attracted to this person and I really like them. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. But don't let your feelings be your dictate, your guide totally, solely. The reason I say that is this. Bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I need to make sure that when I am in that dating mode, which some of us were at, at you know, back in the rock ages, um, that stone ages, that we were in that dating mode that, wait a minute, I need to make sure that I'm dating per the obedience of Christ, which means who I date has to be subordinated. Whether I feel this way or feel that way, I need to go by, what does Scripture say, who I can date or shouldn't date? We'll explore that a little bit more next week. Uh, how we date. I can't go by my feelings only. I have to go by Scriptures, how I date. Um, when we date, I can't go by my feelings only because if my parents have certain rules, I have to submit to those rules as long as I'm in their home. And so I have to follow those. And by the way, if you're dating somebody who is encouraging you to constantly disobey your parents, you shouldn't be dating that person. Okay? We'll talk more about that next week. Number nine, we know that dating is not to be taken lightly as it definitely impacts your life. Your most important life relationships, dating will lead to major impact here. It says, whoso finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Okay? You're dating, you're, you're, you're focusing, you're trying to explore, is this person somebody that we're compatible, somebody that we can uh, be together with, that I enjoy being with that person, that that person helps to complete me, they help build me up. Okay, those are all good. And according to this text, okay, that exploring usually leads to a marriage. Okay, and so we know that's true. You know, people usually don't get married. I, I know it's different in the internet age. Okay. And there are a few cases that I, you know, I've known people that have met and they got married within a week. Or they've been, you know, they found out that they were compatible on eHarmony, therefore they didn't need to talk anymore, and so they could get together and get married within two weeks. Okay? That's not the norm. And here's the, here's the concern that we should have is typically in our culture, dating leads to getting to be with somebody, focusing finally on this one, and that leads to marriage. That's your life's most major earthly decision, who you marry. Am I right about that? Yes? Your most major decision in this life is who do you marry? It impacts everything in your life. Oh, by the way, according to this text, it impacts your relationship to Jesus Christ. You obtain favor from the Lord. Why? Because it's a long-term relationship. It's an everyday relationship. And it brings favor from the Lord in the fact that if, and what do you mean? You say, what does that mean? It means how you treat each other impacts even the way your prayers are answered according to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you two are, are, are not able to get along because you made a bad choice in dating and you can't get along, your prayers are hindered, it says. And so this is such an important relationship. This is such an important part of our lives. It should not be taken. It should not be taken lightly. In fact, it should be taken seriously by every parent in this room that they discuss this and they take time to train 
Not just talk about it once in a great while, but train their kids on how to make a wise decision in this area because it's going to infect your kids' lifetime. It's going to affect them spiritually. It's going to affect them in all areas of their life. Proverbs chapter 5. Look at these passages with me. Go to Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs 7, and Proverbs 31. And join me for just a few more minutes here. Proverbs chapter 5. He starts off this text and he makes this comment. In Proverbs 5, My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow your ear to my understanding. This is a father talking to his son. Watch the, what it unfolds. That you may regard, with, you may regard discretion and that my, thy lips may keep knowledge. Then he goes on, he talks about the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than the oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on to hell. Lest you should ponder the path of her life, her ways are movable. You cannot know them. Hear me now, therefore, O children. Depart not from the words of my mouth. And he's talking about who you show interest in. He does the same thing in the next text, chapter 7, Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words, he says, and keep up my, and lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. My law as the apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers. Write them upon the table of your heart. Say unto wisdom, you are my sister. Call understanding your kinswoman. He's pleading with his son to listen. Listen, listen, listen to me. Give, give heed what I'm telling you. Bind it upon your hands. Bind it in a way that you remember it day in and day out. And what's his topic? What is it that he's telling his son? Go down to verse 5. Verse 5, he says, that you may keep yourself from the strange woman, the wo that stranger that flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through the window, and behold, the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a man, young man, void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. He went the way to her house, etc., etc., etc. Chapter 31. We already mentioned this. This is mom saying to her son, the king, he's saying, how do you look, what do you look for in a woman who is a prospective spouse down the road you're interested in and, you, and gives characteristic traits to look for. This is the parent's job, according to Proverbs 5, Proverbs 7, Proverbs 31, to train their children on what to look for, who to, who to look at. That, here's the problem. That in our culture, in our Christian community, this is the repeated mistakes. The mistakes go this way. Parents say absolutely nothing to their kids about this area. They say nothing about the area of, of dealing with temptation. They say nothing about their kids about who they who they're, should be interested in and who they shouldn't be interested in. Not by name, but they say absolutely nothing. They give them no training, no instruction. They just, you know, You'll figure it out. And a lot of parents do it because they were not told. Their parents didn't say. And they say, look at me, I turned out fine. Well, that's always debatable how we turned out. Number one. Number two, you are, you are better than that. You know what the Scripture says. You're to be training your kids. You're to give direction. Or there are the ones who say, okay, um, if my kid makes a comment or asks a question, I just kind of ignore it. It's really not that important. It's not something I really feel comfortable talking about, so I just won't talk about it because it'll just go away. No. Those are questions. Those are issues. Those are discussions that need to be made. 
that need to be discussed. Or you have this type of parent who says, I will make the decision for them. I will tell them exactly who and when and what the name of the person is that they can date. And they dominate, not train their child to be wise, they train their child to only listen and do what they say and to jump when they say jump. All three are a mistake. All three are, are if that's the general rule. I mean, there may be a moment that you have to do one of these, but generally speaking, it's a mistake. We are supposed to be training our kids and should have this discussion. Because if you don't say something to your young people, your teens, whatever age, when it comes to dating, if you don't instruct them, where are they going to learn? This, this is my weird approach to it. I wanted my kids, not that I advertised for them, though I threatened I would, that I would put on the internet, you know, here's what I'm paying so you would date my daughter. Um, you know, and my girls would be so mad when I would say that. But the point is that when they were in that junior and senior year in high school, I wanted them, if somebody was interested, to start experiencing the dating experience while they were still in my house and I could guide them and give them direction and give them counsel and not wait until they're a thousand miles away, which our kids ended up a thousand miles away from us, and now they're in college and they're going to date and they have no direction given and we've never discussed it. That was me. That was how Deb and I approached it, that we wanted to create, if possible, we allowed, I should say. We allowed it to, to happen so that we could have instructional moments. So we felt it was our responsibility. Number 11, dating can be beneficial when done according to the Bible. Now, some of you young people will say, Pastor, say it louder because my parents, they need to hear this part, okay, so that they will let me do this, okay. Whoso finds a good wife finds a good thing. Let me give you just three or four benefits. Um, provides friendships, getting to know other people, getting to know them, getting to know yourself a little bit better. Provides spiritual fellowship, help and encouragement. It's going to create, dating's going to create some tensions that you're going to have to learn how to deal with people, relationships. Nothing wrong with that. It's helpful. And especially that we need to be training how to be selfless and stop thinking about yourself only. Let me give you number 12. We know, and ending up with this, two thoughts. Matthew chapter 22. You want to turn there as we wind down here? Matthew 22. If you follow these three simple steps that are found principles in this passage, you will have and can have a good dating experience. Okay? It can be done right for the glory of God if you do this. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, goes on and says this. Oops, I should get in the right text. Matthew 22. They asked him, what's the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with what? All thy heart, with all your, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is, thou shalt love your neighbor as, okay. Taking those principles, let's just give three rules for dating. It should be done this way. Always do God's commands. You always do what God told you when it comes to the dating. Purity, you always do that. Forgiveness, you always do that. If there's a problem, you go and talk to that person. You, you, you talk about you know, in private. Those are some of those simple commands. Number two, you put God first in this relationship. God is first in this relationship. We do what God wants more than what anybody else wants. God first. And number three, you treat others as you want to be treated. You love others as you would love yourself. You treat them the way you want to be treated. That will save you a boatload of problems and difficulties if those three rules are your guide in this relationship. And let's wrap up with this. 
we know that dating should not be limited to unmarried couples only. What I mean by that is this. Married couples should go on dates with your spouse. Okay, unless somebody tries to be funny with me. I'm talking about you and your spouse. You need to have focused time with each other. You need to get a babysitter and to have a time together for the two of you so you can go out and talk about the kids for the whole evening. <laughs> you need this time. You, you, need, you need to be able to spend some time together to get refreshed. You need to have dates as a married couple. You need to be teaching your kids that they need to be working in that relationship constantly and not take it for granted. So when's the last time you, here's me, this is, my, my wife's not here so I can say it, okay. I tell her I take her out on a date every day because we're home alone, there's no kids in the house. So every day is a date. And I will mark that down in my mind, that's a date, okay. We went out to a church meal, I took you for a date, okay. You know, we went to church together, I took you for a date, okay. We did this, okay. We went calling on somebody at the hospital, that was a date, Okay, she and I don't quite agree on a date. Okay, she thinks it should be something more focused on her and not everybody else. You know what? Don't tell her this. If you say this to her, she's right. Don't tell her that. Okay, okay. But she's absolutely right. That she needs and deserves that focused attention. Your wife does too. Your husband does too. Your husband, even with the little kids in the home, most dangerous time for your marriage is those little kids that are consuming you, you and totally, and the husband is saying, you know, I'm with you, babe. I'm really working with it, but can we get a little bit of focus for me? Do you care about me at all? That's not being selfish. That's being human. That says we need to keep our relationship fresh. When's the last time you went on a date? <laughs> 